bum bum bottom 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 bum
along with the new comic book day hashtag, we keep the new to you comic book day hashtag because I've discovered a lot of new comics. Um, you know, it's offered us an opportunity to celebrate the things that we have already in our apartment, mm -hmm. things that we have been buying over the years, but maybe not reading, like say mm, Usagi Ojimbo comics. We'll have time to read all of our books when we are dead. Yeah. Is that the saying? Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I, uh, you know, who wants a library full of books you've already read? You want like a good half-half situation, That's right, right. that's yeah. right. Uh, so super excited to get some new comic books out there. It's a reason to celebrate. Uh, excited by all these new distribution channels. I hope they all work out. I want Diamond to come back in some big way. You know, their comeback is going to be bigger than their setback, as uh, Steve Jeppy is saying. I like it. Um, I, I, I dig that branding as well. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, we're obviously feeling a little high coming into our last episode on Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. I am going to be sad to see them go. You know, and I've enjoyed not, them a lot. You were not expecting that when we launched this series. I'm not a DC girl. Like, I, I, I got my taste for comic books reading Spider-Man, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, but that being said, it's been interesting getting to know these Gothamites a little bit better. Yeah, and, and you know, like that's, I think that's the key to uh, discovery and, and why I like the new to you comic book day hashtag is curation is often required mm -hmm. when wading into uh, a universe like DC, when wading into a Marvel universe. Like you need somebody to take you by the hand and go like, try these out. And then if you like these, we can go to these and we can go to that. And I think that's what we do uh, on this podcast every month. Yeah. And I think that's why it's hard for adults to get into comic books because uh, they don't like to be in the position of not knowing. Mm -hmm. Where when you're a dumb kid and you go to the comic book store and you see something with a rad cover, you don't care that you don't look at that rad cover and go like, What's the context of Optimus Prime hanging out with a Ninja Turtle? Well, my first Spider-Man comic was, I can't remember the number, but it was the Eric Larson issue where Spider-Man found himself on an island with Venom. And like, how did they get there? I don't know, but they're fighting and it's cool and I'm having a good time. And, and so there's less of... Um, there's a less of a demand for continuity as a child. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But again, like that's that's why we're here. That's why you go find your fellow comic book friends and say like, hey, you love Usagi Ojimbo or hey, you love Poison Ivy. Tell me where to begin. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I, 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 I like to think that we're, we're doing a pretty good job as curators here at CBCC. Uh, words of affirmation, I think we're doing an amazing yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, send us an iTunes review. Let us know. We've been <laughs> enjoying them lately. But I agree. I've also enjoyed our time with Harley and Ivy much more than I was expecting, Lisa. I knew so little about the two going into these episodes, and I feel like I've learned a lot. Absolutely, I'm yeah. definitely on the side of Harley and Ivy forever. Amen. Uh, which is a shame, considering how they're done so dirty by the end of this particular storyline that we're covering on this episode. Oh, um, Man. But we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But it is crazy that we did get word back from Jimmy Palmiotti. Yep. He listened to our last episode discussing his and Amanda Connor's road trip special, and it seems like he had a good time with it, which is a huge relief. Yeah, phew. Uh, not only did he share the episode with everyone on his feed, gaining us a bunch of new listeners and followers. Welcome! Thank you for joining us, everyone. But he also had this to say, um, and here's his quote. Love what you guys talked about. Did you know we actually wrote and Amanda drew the missing Vegas story in a later special? To uh, which we replied. Yeah. 
No, we did not know that. No, we did not know that. No, we did not know that. Like we said, we're learning. We're learning. Uh, The issue in question is the Harley Quinn 25th anniversary special from 2017, which also includes stories from a few other creators we've already covered on the podcast, Paul Denny and Chip Zdarsky. Uh, We've ordered a copy of this comic, and I think it would be fun, Lisa, to cover it in a bonus episode at some point. What do you sure, think? sure. I'm always up for a bonus app. I know you are. I know Those you sweet, are. sweet podcast morsels. Yeah. Uh, if that exchange with uh, Jimmy Palmiotti wasn't cool enough, he and Amanda Connor also agreed to join us on the show for a Creator Corner conversation. Excuse me while I just hyperventilate in a corner. Yeah, we're still working out the details. Schedules are tricky, but sooner or later, that will happen How rad is that? Super rad. Super, super rad. So cool. Uh, So yes, we're covering the Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy six-issue miniseries from 2019 and 2020. Um, It it was written by Jody Hauser and penciled by Adriana Mello. Uh, This was one of the first storylines that you listeners suggested when we picked this couple out uh, for the month. And we totally understand why. The dialogue is so fun. Yeah. Some important stuff happens. Uh, Some huge stuff happens. Uh, Honestly, the most exciting aspect of this book is that it's the most current iteration of the couple and it's the most affirming of their relationship until it is not, which also makes it one of the most frustrating reading experiences that we've had this month. Yeah. Um, Now, Jody Hauser is a cool comic creator. Um, Outside of her comics works, I don't really know much about her, so I simply jumped over to her website, mindeclipse.com, to score a few details. Uh, She got her MFA in creative writing from Emerson College in Boston, where she completed her master's thesis in screenwriting and was a winner of the Rod Parker Fellowship for Playwriting. How cool. In 2010, she launched her webcomic Cupcake Pow, (gasps) with an exclamation mark at the end, which you can still find via the website, Comic, uh, not comic, uh, the <laughs> website cupcakepow.com. Is it a comic book about cupcakes? It's a, about a cupcake character. You, what? You, sh- you should, you should check it out. Baking related podcast. I'm in. You, podcast. Yeah, We're web- both tripping over our words. You know, it's early in the morning. It's Memorial <laughs> Day. We should be on vacation. Comics. But we can't get away from our podcast. Uh, now, Hauser also wrote Faith for Valiant Comics. Uh, she took on Maximum Ride, Star Wars, Black Widow, uh, the Spider-Man Renew Your Vows miniseries, and Agent May for Marvel. She's written Orphan Black for IDW, and Mother Panic, one of my favorites from DC's Young Animal line of books. And that's also where she first wrote the character of Harley Quinn in uh, the Mother Panic Gotham AD issue. Oh, cool. Now, we've been told, and we were warned uh, before we did this episode, that you can't just jump into the Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy miniseries, because it's coming with a lot of baggage. And one of our listeners like, you got to read Heroes in Crisis. And don't worry, listener, we we did do that. Yes, we did. We, we have covered Heroes in Crisis. We read it in singles when it was coming out. Um, you know, that miniseries written by uh, CBCC favorite Tom King, uh, it gave a lot of material for Hauser to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an extremely dramatic tragedy uh, to totally overcome uh, with the Harley and Ivy storyline in particular. Uh, but first, you be, even before Heroes in Crisis, you kind of need to go back to Tom King's Batman solo series, and in particular, the Harley, Quinn, and Poison Ivy storyline, Everyone Loves Ivy, in which... Poison Ivy basically reaches a god level 
power set and she has taken over the world uh, and, and is controlling everyone like puppets with the exception of Batman, of course. <laughs> Wowza. Yeah, including the Justice League and Superman, right? And the way Bats saves the world is that he reminds Ivy that she needs Harley and not in a mind control kind of way. Ivy is a seriously lonely plant god. And when she agrees that she needs Harley, she lets go of the planet. And Batman wins through Ivy's love of Harley. It's a beautiful storyline, and we could have easily devoted an entire episode to it. But, oh well. We, maybe one day. Well, maybe one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, coming off of that is the Heroes in Crisis uh, maxi series. And Ivy needs help after, uh, you know, letting go of her godlike status. And she gets it through Sanctuary, which is a secret rehabilitation center for superheroes and reformed supervillains in need. Unfortunately, someone murders everyone inside Sanctuary, uh, mostly a bunch of nobodies, but also Poison Ivy is killed. Oh, no. Uh, Harley Quinn is framed for the massacre, but in the course of the series, it's revealed that Wally West... Uh, the Flash killed everyone accidentally Oops! when he loses control of the Speed Force, causing a deadly energy blast. Oh, no. At the end of that storyline, uh, they free Wally West from his madness. But more importantly, Poison Ivy regrows herself a new body through her connection with the green, the elemental force that connects all plant life and is usually watched over by Swamp Thing. There you go. But Lisa, before we move on, we do have to talk about the Swamp Thing situation. Ooh, should I go get Common? He's uh, our Swamp Thing love guru. We should always have Common by our side, Lisa. <laughs> uh, you know, at this point in time, within DC Comics continuity, Swamp Thing is hanging out in the Justice League Dark series. And in volume two, annual number one, published in September of 2019, the Greens Parliament of Trees has been destroyed and the Parliament of Flowers rises to take its place. Swamp Thing is defeated and devoured by the Floronic Man, who takes on the mantle of the King of Petals. With no Swampy to act as a go-between for humanity and the green, that leaves Poison Ivy as our last best hope of maintaining any kind of balance. Oh, no. Yeah, good, good luck, humanity. <laughs> um, but, of course, before we can get into the miniseries itself, we have to check in with our love guru and our relationship guide. Lisa, how is Ask a Queer Chick going to help us out this week? Our fantastic relationship guru is the relationship advice columnist and author, Lindsay King-Miller. Using her book, Ask a Queer Chick, A Guide to Sex, Love, and Life for Girls Who Dig Girls. She has been writing an advice column of the same name for The Hairpin since 2011 and has contributed to Cosmopolitan.com, Bitch Magazine, BuzzFeed, The Toast, and other publications. In the introduction, King Miller says that this book is for queer chicks who need some practical advice about wading into the queer world in a way that fosters confidence, communication, self-advocacy, and living your best life. Thus far, our favorite piece of advice of hers has been, listen to your heart even when it isn't making much sense. That's how you learn to speak its language. Brad and I both strive to listen to our hearts each and every day, and while neither Brad nor I are queer chicks, we both currently identify as heterosexual and cisgendered, we are like Lindsay King Miller's Aunt Bobby. Straight, but supportive. This week, I chose to lean into what I've learned from Chapter 6, entitled By Any Means Necessary, Notes on Non-Monosexuality, inspired by Harleen's most recent infatuation, 
with the bumbling and unlikely Booster Gold in uh, Harley Quinn number 72. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An, an issue I have not yet read. It is written by Sam Humphreys. I would encourage listeners to also check out the article about this issue on the Polygon website, written by Susanna Polo, uh, a.k.a. at Nerd Girl, uh, girl spelled G-E-R-H-L. I, of course, was initially like, how dare Sam Humphreys pair Booster Gold and Harley Quinn? Uh, but after reading her article, she kind of won me over to the idea mm-hmm, a little yeah. bit. Um, and and I I love Sam Humphreys as a writer. I'm a huge fan of his Dial H for Hero series yes, that he did not too long ago. Um, but of course, like I'm sure many of you are, I'm, I'm still a little hurt by the end of this series and the kind of the, the destruction of Harley and Poison Ivy's relationship. It's totally heartbreaking. There has been plenty of backlash toward the particular storyline number 72 saying that it's a case of queer erasure because Harley and Ivy have been pushed aside for a straight seeming relationship. But just because Harley is attracted to the opposite sex doesn't mean that she's not a queer character. That being said, I'm not going so far as to say that this is not a case of queer erasure because historically, DC corporate has been wishy-washy about Harley and Ivy being a romantic couple. Yeah, 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 for sure. With all the innuendo we've seen in the four storylines we've covered on this podcast, I would say, and I think you would agree, that it's a blatant case of eating your cake and having it too. Uh, uh, Absolutely, I agree with you. Before getting into a proper discussion about bi-invisibility and bi-erasure, we have to define what it means to be bisexual. To be bisexual is to be a person who is attracted to more than one gender. Some people have issues with the term bisexual because it reinforces the idea of there being only two genders. But that's not the way that actual bisexuals use the word. Uh, but the prefix bi means two. Yeah, and the word gay means happy, the word page means a piece of paper, and the word phone means a device that you use exclusively to make phone calls. Definitions evolve. Keep up. (laughs) I have also heard the term pansexual, which is a person who's attracted to all genders, which is not addressed in this book. But the important thing is that it's not my place or anyone else's Mm. to tell a person who calls themselves bisexual that they are not. Yeah, yeah. One thing that is made clear by King Miller in this chapter is that bisexuals face a lot of presumptions and misconceptions from the straight and queer monosexual communities. And she should know because, plot twist, Lindsay King Miller is bisexual. Look at me, not being above admitting that I was inadvertently participating in bi erasure. (laughs) I assumed while reading the other chapters of this book that she was a lesbian because she's in a long-term relationship with a woman. I have probably called her lesbian on this podcast. I would have to go back and check the tape, but I am here making the retraction just the same. I made an assumption. I am an ass. I did the same. I am also an ass. (laughs) There are three major misconceptions about bisexuals that King Miller refers to as the trilogy of wrongness. The first is that bisexuals are just closeted gay people, often summed up in the platitude, by now, gay later. This is supposed to discourage straight people from dating bisexuals or anyone who has had any monosexual experiences because they are, in fact, closet cases. 
We actually saw this confronted in pop culture recently on one of my favorite shows currently on the air, Insecure. Oh, yeah. Molly stopped dating the inarguably super hot Jared because she could not get over the fact that he had one homosexual experience in his past. She even uses the phrase buy now, gay later when explaining they're breaking things off to Issa, who's pointing out her bigoted behavior. Yeah. The second misconception is that lesbians should not date bi girls because they are just attention-seeking straight chicks who will inevitably break their heart. Or worse, they are bi chicks, but they'll choose to cash in on their so-called bi privilege, her ability to pass as straight in a straight-leaning world. Mm. King Miller admonishes the idea of bi privilege. As she puts it, this is a quote, Suppressing your real bisexual identity to fit into an arbitrary ideal is painful enough all on its own to negate the existence of so-called bi-privilege. Also, if it was truly a privilege, it would come with some advantages. King Miller cites a report from the San Francisco Human Rights Commission entitled Bisexual Invisibility, Impacts, and Recommendations that states that bisexuals are more likely to experience depression, suicidal ideation, anxiety, and hypertension, are more likely to smoke, abuse alcohol, and be victims of intimate partner violence. Researchers speculate that this is because bisexuals experience the same marginalization that monosexual gays and lesbians do, but they don't have the same support of the queer community. So in a lot of ways on paper, bisexuals have it harder than monosexual gays or straight people. King Miller doesn't cite any statistics, but she says that in her personal experience, most of the bisexual women she knows end up in what looks like from the outside straight relationships. But think of the math. Bisexuals are attracted to men and women and can be attractive to straight men, other bisexual men and women, and homosexual women. The queer community makes up about 10% of the population, so around 90% of their dating pool, even after you take out the bigots on both sides, is still straight and bisexual Mm. men. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's not a matter of attraction, it's a matter of odds. Yeah, math, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't mean that if you're a lesbian and you have a crush on a super hot bisexual chick that she'll necessarily dump you for some dude. So the first two myths from the trilogy of wrongness have to do with the idea that bisexuality is a stepping stone to ultimately being either straight or gay and not an identity in and of itself. King Miller puts it this way, quote, the truth is bisexuality is a legitimate and distinct queer identity in its own right. It's not halfway to gay or diet gay or part straight, part gay. Someone might identify as bisexual, but later identify as something else, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their bisexuality was a mistake, a phase, or a lie. The final myth to be dispelled from the trilogy of wrongness is that bisexuals are sexually insatiable and incapable of monogamy. It doesn't matter if they're in a gay or straight monogamous relationship, they'll inevitably cheat to get what they're not getting at home. For some reason, being attracted to all genders somehow gets extrapolated into being attracted to every single person with a compounding inability to restrain themselves. What if we applied that to monosexual identities? Just because I'm attracted to men doesn't mean that I'm attracted to 
all men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Apparently, <laughs> bisexual women in particular are often put into the awkward position of turning down threesomes <laughs> from straight couples left and white, left and right. Quit it, straight people. Just because she's bi doesn't mean she's DTF. Look for your unicorn elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. Oh, gosh. Bi visibility is important, and it can't only fall on the shoulders of bisexual people. It's hard not to assume that people are monosexual, since the only time we think about people's sexuality is when we see people more or less coupled up. Mm. I was guilty of it myself. I knew that Lindsay King Miller had dated men, but she's now in a long-term relationship with a lesbian, so I thought she was a lesbian too. Bisexuals have to deal with being misidentified a lot, and it can be awkward and emotionally taxing to have to come out all of the time. To her fellow bisexuals who are dealing with this, King Miller suggests being direct but brief. You are under no obligation to explain yourself, divulge your dating history, or otherwise turn your life into someone else's teachable moment. She suggests if you're a bisexual going on dates, to divulge your bisexuality more or less upfront, if only to weed out any stealth bigots who are going to ultimately reject you for being bisexual. To combat bi invisibility, there needs to be space for bisexual people. They should have their own places and resources that cater to their specific needs, as well as being accepted into the loving rainbow arms of the queer community. For myself, I'm just going to try to check myself when I find myself assuming someone's sexuality based on their current partner. Mm -hmm. And if the topic of sexuality comes up, just to keep bisexuality in the conversation. I wasn't really, so the next thing I'm going to talk about, I wasn't sure where to put it in my notes, so I'm putting it here. But I did read the chapter for straight people like myself. Chapter seven, I'm not gay, but my sister is advice for straight people, which I found super informative. And I would love to tell you everything that I've learned from Lindsay King Miller in this book. But that just means that, but the, the format of this podcast means I have to relate it back to yeah. Harley and Ivy. And so I'm just going to say you have to read this book if these topics interest you, because it's really wonderful and informative. But one thing I thought I should mention is that while it may be fun to openly speculate about Harley's sexuality over the course of her decades worth of continuity, it's only okay to speculate because she's a fictional character. Yes, agree a thousand percent. It's tough, but it's never our place to openly speculate yeah. about another real person's right. sexuality in any context. Agreed. It doesn't matter if it's a celebrity or a stranger or a family member. We are entitled to someone's identity when they tell it to us. And there's no sleuthing that can figure it out. The only time that we should really concern ourselves uh, with someone else's sexuality is if we want their sexuality to include us. And it's probably best to just ask them on a date and see how it goes. You know what I mean? 
Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, like the the tricky thing, as you've alluded to already, is, you know, we're discussing Harley and Ivy as seen through multiple lenses, like multiple points of view, multiple creators. Right. And the frustration occurs when one writer doesn't align with another writer or the publisher of this moment and the publisher of that moment don't uh, don't meet and or negate each other. And talking about how it's important now that like the greater society comic book nerds see them as a queer couple and we want that visibility yeah. for bisexual people to continue. Correct. Yes, agreed. Yeah. So when you get to a book like this one and it ends with them effectively separated, uh it it feels like a blow to the culture. Right, cuz we've been fighting so hard for them to be a couple in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 then they're not, and it hurts. And then when you see Harley with Booster Gold, you get super mad. Right, right. Especially because it's Booster Gold. <laughs> um, if you haven't read anything with Booster Gold, you can go back to our uh, Catwoman Batman series. He pops up in a really, at, at his peak patheticness. Again, from writer Tom King. Uh, yeah. And uh, artist Tony Daniel. That's a great issue. It's great. It's a fantastic issue. But again, I would encourage you also to read the Polygon article uh, by Polo because it it shows how a loser like Booster Gold and and Harley kind of work in this moment post Harley uh, Ivy breakup. Yeah, yeah, and it, considering her dating history, I think that I mean it's time for her to be in the driver's seat of a relationship uh, for once. Exactly, exactly. Is Harley and Booster our OTP? Absolutely not. Yeah, no. But but it's it's interesting. It's an interesting like hurdle in the in the the story to getting Harley and Ivy hopefully back together at some point. Yeah. So it's time. Let's get into this specific miniseries. Huzzah! Uh, these six issues were published between November of 2019 and April of 2020. Uh, as we've already said, it's written by Jody Hauser with pencils by Adriana Mello, but it features inks by uh, Mark Morales and Wade Von Graubadger. That is a powerful name. A hell of a powerful name. Uh, letters by uh, Gabriella Downey and colors by Hi-Fi. Nice. Here's the basic plot synopsis provided by Goodreads, which for what whatever reason is way longer than the usual batch of blurbs. Lisa, maybe you'll finally be satisfied by a good read summary. Uh, can I read it? Yeah, let's do it. During the catastrophic events of Tom King's Heroes in Crisis, Poison Ivy was killed and Harley Quinn holds herself responsible. But when Poison Ivy is resurrected, Harley decides to take care of her best friend, who is now evolving into a creature who is much flora as she is fauna. Bad girl BFFs Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are back together, but what happens when a newly reformed Harley discovers that Ivy has gone full-on evil? Harley has also been pardoned from the Suicide Squad, so even if the killings at Sanctuary during the events of Heroes in Crisis had already inspired her to be better, the need to stay out of Bell Rev. Bell Reeve. Bell Reeve gives her added incentive to stay on the straight and narrow. What then is she to do when Poison Ivy reveals she's had enough of the humans who had not only killed her, but are destroying the environment day by day? Can Poison Ivy entice Harley to join her in the plant world? Or will Harley have to prove herself by stopping whatever plot Ivy is cooking up. Oh my goodness, this is the best. This is like 
the epic poem of Goodreads <laughs> summaries. This is amazing. That one's pretty good. That was pretty good. Who wrote that, Homer? Uh, somebody in the marketing department of DC, probably. Nailed but it. Here's my issue with okay. it. Okay. Referring to Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy as, as bad BFFs. girl BFFs. Gross. So it's clear in the marketing of this series, like they are moving to the dissolution of their relationship. But that doesn't mean BFFs, BFFs aren't boning because we are BFFs. I, I know, I know. But again, you can't talk about this couple without talking about how they are being steered by the editorial yeah, department. Uh, and, and clearly in the Palmiati and Amanda Connor run, which we are continuing to read yeah. as we build up to our hopeful interview with, with those two, yes. that it's clear, you know, they are a romantic couple in that series. And so to go from that to bad girl BFF. They're just friends. They're just friends. They're it, just friends. It feels disingenuous. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Gross. But let's 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 get into the actual content of this issue away from the blurb itself. Yeah. I really love how Jody Hauser sets up the first issue, right? Because we're coming off of the events of Heroes in Crisis and Harley wants to take Ivy back to that quintessential ideal place and that is at the shopping mall right, right? we want to go back to batman the animated series that iconic duo you know doing crimes shopping having a blast together but ivy isn't quite there yet she's still just getting used to her swamp thing body right yeah and when harley takes her to the dressing room because she can't make her own clothes because her powers are so low Poison Ivy just devolves into a pile of plants. And that's a horrifying, like, splash image. Oh, yes. It's so gross. Like, it's like, because you're having fun, you can tell, like, in those first couple pages, you know, Harley's obviously having a lot of fun. Poison I Ivy is trying. Ivy's trying to have fun. And you're like, yeah, this is the fun type of Harley and Ivy comic I want to read. But then you turn to that splash page and she's muck. And you're like, ooh, no, this is no good. Clearly everything is not okay. Right. And if we've learned anything from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> whenever somebody comes back from the dead, <laughs> they bring a lot of baggage. Yeah. They're straight up not the same. Right. And this is when Harley realizes, like, we can't have Poison Ivy overstimulated. We have to take her to the suburbs. We got to lay low for well, a while. And, and not only that, but... After something as absurd and insane and comic booky as the climax of Heroes in Crisis, there's there's no going back again. Yeah. Right. Like Poison Ivy is irrevocably changed. So back in the suburbs, Harley is getting kind of antsy, waiting for Poison Ivy to get better, and so she's trying to. She's really racking her brain for yeah. what can I do to help? What can I do? And then she remembers, oh yeah. We did get that package a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and you get this flashback several weeks ago, and you get one of Lex Luthor's little robot delivery men uh, giving, like, this tiny little box, which, does it contain, like, chocolates? Does it contain a nice little ring? What no. it definitely does not contain is something for Harley Quinn. <laughs> and um, I think partly out of... Like, uh, Poison Ivy, she might not be ready for a box from Lex Luthor, but also, like, she knows once that box is open, that's another level of change. Well, and Harley is clearly miffed that she didn't get a package from Lex Luthor, right? There's a little bit of jealousy there, and that's why Harley probably uh, not so subconsciously left that box unattend uh, unattended for a couple weeks. But now that she is uh, a pile of muck, maybe this thing can help Ivy. 
Yeah, so she takes the box to Ivy. It seems to be fertilizer with a little extra something. And so uh, <laughs> Poison Ivy takes a little taste of it. Yeah. Super gross. But it seems to have some positive effects right away. So, But Harley Quinn still has all of these feelings, so she ends up going back to her bedroom and going like, how come she got a box and I didn't get a box? And she starts kind of having some imposter syndrome type feelings where it's just like, am I ever going to be taken seriously as a villain, as a super villain? Like, I'm not even inc- I'm not even worth giving an extra little power boost. So she goes into this little like self-pity spiral and she comes to the conclusion that she's lost her edge. And um, she even goes so far as to say, I bet all of those superheroes didn't even really think I was a mass murderer. They just pretended to be nice. I think that King Miller would have some really valuable advice for Harley Quinn saying like, well, don't try to change your identity to match the perceptions of somebody else. Especially Lex Luthor. Yeah. Yeah, who's having his own crazy you're the villain nonsense. You don't want to be a part of that anyway. Right. And she's just wondering where it all went wrong. And I think we can all identify with that. Times where we go like, how can I how can I control other people's perceptions? What yeah. can I do to make people think of me in a certain way? But this magical fertilizer does have an effect on Ivy. And, you know, we get a page of Ivy going into some kind of like muck encrusted uh, cocoon. But when she comes out, she's radiant. She's back to her badass, beautiful self. Right. And so Harley thinks this is a great opportunity to propose to Poison Ivy. To turn over a new leaf, Lisa? Oh, man. Pun intended. I love it. Um, (laughs) Nom, nom, I love me a pun. Um, So Harley Quinn is like, hey, I've been having this feeling, and I feel like we should stop being villains, and why not try to be heroes for a change? And she says that if the world's already broken, like, what's the point of breaking it even more, which I think is interesting because that's not really why she decided to become a hero. It had nothing to do with um, saving anybody, really. Well, what I like about this is it's very much in tone with the Harley we've seen in other volumes, right? If you go back to the Carl Kessel, Terry Dodson solo title from the early aughts, you know, they go to Metropolis because she wants a new start. You know, yeah. Harley is all about reinvention. In the Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti, let's leave Gotham, let's go to Coney Island. Yeah. You know, H- Harley is a character that is all about, because she's probably a, a, a psychiatrist, uh, a self-evaluation and reinvention. Yeah. And that's the appeal of the character. And she, she has an attitude of growth. Mm-hmm. She feels like in order to be her true self, there has to be some kind of upward mobility. And she's like, well, we've been bad guys for a while. I'm not getting any respect for being a bad guy. So why not try being good guys? And Ivy does not necessarily think that way or operate that way. Yeah, because her interest is in a result and the result being a better, cleaner environment that is more fair to plants. And also she is this new version of herself. You know, she's been reborn out of a flower. Uh, You know, she needs to get that all sorted before she can think of anything else. Yeah, she's just in heel mode. Yeah, yeah. But, but But Harley's here to help. And Ivy does not run from it. No. 
No, she she doesn't argue with it either. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't really come down one way or another, which we know is going to get thrown back in Harley's face. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But first, we got to talk about the appearance of a certain King of Petals at the end of this issue. Right. So at the end of this conversation, like Harley Quinn's like, be heroes with me. And at that moment, like this enormous tree starts growing out of a potted plant. And Harley Quinn is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry what I said. And Poison Ivy is like, this is not me. No, it's the Floronic Man. And since Lisa and I have recently just reread all of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, yeah. I was so ecstatic to see the Floronic Man reappear. And I do love how Poison Ivy is becoming a crucial part of the green mythology. Yeah, I would love to see this character lean more in that direction. Same, same. And I got to say, like, this first issue, um, when I was reading it, it felt like when we were reading Rogue and Gambit by Kelly Thompson, where suddenly you felt like this person has observed and consumed all of the Harley and Ivy content. Yeah, there's and, a fluency. Yeah, and is filtering it into uh, a, a, an iconic place. Uh, and I really took to the dialogue and the characterization in a way that I had it in the Carl Kessel and Terry Dodson run. Uh, well, and I, I super enjoy uh, the Palmiati and uh, Amanda Connor stuff, but the issue we covered was kind of like that uh, three-way uh, story with Catwoman involved as well. And it was also kind of an aside. Like, yeah. it was a very personal journey for Harley and Ivy and, and, and Catwoman. Yeah, and so, like, I read this and I go, oh, man, I would read an entire you know, 100 issue run of this dynamic. Like I really, really like this first issue a lot. And of course there, there's not that many, like there's, it's a sh really short run and it's kind of a Yeah, It's only sad. six issues and then it's over yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, in, in, in like a very definitive way. Yeah. Again, highlighting my like frustration. So the next issue, number two, Halt and Catch Fire kicks off in medias res. Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn facing the Floronic Man, and the Floronic Man in a very villainous style is like, this is my entire plan, I lay it before you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I love about this opening is how it parallels with the first issue's opening, right? The splash page was Ivy fallen in the dressing room, turned into this pile of mush, and now the splash page of the second issue is Ivy coming into full on badass power mode. Right. And she has this cool thorny armor that's so badass. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of how we saw her just, you know, 30 pages earlier. And 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 I should know better that when I reach a moment like this, I'm like, you know, fist pumping and going like, oh, yeah, Harley and Ivy versus the Floronic Man. Well, we're only in issue two. Right. right? <laughs> Don't get too excited, Brad. Some darkness is coming. Even with Poison Ivy being so much more powerful than that previous mush pile she was before, she's not at full power. Mm. So they come to the conclusion that the best thing to do is to run. And so Harley Quinn is like, well, uh, I'll create a distraction by setting the whole house on fire. Yeah, apparently, again, we have like this little flashback to three weeks ago, which I love this panel where it flashes back where you have Ivy in her Swamp Thing body and Harley Quinn in her PJs just like kicking back and watching TV going like, should we install a security system? And that security system apparently is uh, all flamethrowers. That's right. And so, of course, Poison Ivy is like, oh my God, my plants. Harley Quinn's like, there's no time. 
So I'm just going to run in and grab that very special rose that brought you back to me, and they make a break for it. They drive for a while, just enough to get the Floronic Man off their tail, and Harley Quinn pulls over to this park where Poison Ivy can kind of recharge. And Harley Quinn is now talking like everybody is on board with them being heroes mm. instead of villains. Yeah, And Harley is like, I know, like with the whole sanctuary situation. We can't really trust our fellow good guys. <laughs> and I don't wanna reach out to a true villain because we're heroes now. So I know someone who's just kind of like a chaotic neutral that I can reach out to who might be able to help yeah, it, you. And it's the Mad Hatter, right? Uh, and the way you feel about <laughs> Bizarro uh, in that Kessel and Dodson run, I feel about the Mad Hatter here. I just cannot stand reading his Lewis Carroll speak. Especially where uh, in this book it makes zero sense. Like, it seems to be, like, he's more like a fortune cookie where he just says nonsense, and then you're like, and well, I can apply this to my life how? Well, I do like how later on in the issue, in, in issue three, when we start to get uh, some serious Mad Hatter time, it is revealed that a lot of that Lewis Carroll speak is BS, and he is just messing with people. Oh, yeah. Whereas, like, Bizarro, he, no, that's, that's... That's how he talks. That's how he talks. He's from another planet. And so when that was revealed... I kind of appreciated that about Mad Hatter. He's like, look, this is my getup. This is my gimmick. Uh, I got to lean hard into it. And I don't care what you think. So Harley and Ivy are on the Mad Hatter's little putt-putt village yeah, uh -huh. for what feels like a long time. And Harley Quinn is getting a little impatient because she doesn't feel any progress or very little progress in Ivy actually getting better. And so she's like, I'm going to go check on the Mad Hatter. And she just so happens to check on him when he's kind of villain monologuing to himself and saying his entire plan out loud in an empty room. And so she busts in. She's like, it's betrayal o'clock figures we are the good guys, and we were actually planning on betraying you, so obviously you're planning on betraying me. And he is tinkering on some little mind control devices. Yeah, we should mention that we're now into issue three. Oh, yeah. And the reason it feels like we're with Mad Hatter for a long time is because we're the back fourth of the second issue and the entirety of the third issue is all Mad Hatter time, right? We do spend a lot of time with him, right? We do. And he's in some kind of communication with who we think is the Floronic Man because at the end of the second issue, he has like these two little flower patches, which then he has planted onto Ivy and Harley by the end of issue three. And the whole like hat situation that he has tinkered for Harley in the third issue is kind of like a distraction yeah. to get those patches on Ivy's shoulder. Yeah, Mad Hatter was pulling a bit of a bait and switch. Long story short, Harley Quinn ends up with one of these mind control devices on her head. Poison Ivy rustles up her powers, uh, goes in, Saves the day. Yeah, it's a great action sequence. She totally takes care of all of uh, Hatter's little goons, as well as like a bunch of little uh, Floronic Man critters. Yeah, yeah. So there's clearly some cahoots going on. It climaxes with Poison Ivy getting the Mad Hatter right where she wants him, 
But then instead of killing him, she has the thought, oh, well, Harley Quinn is going on about how we're heroes now. So I guess instead of taking your life, I will give you a kiss and mind control you to start replanting your putt-putt with a bunch of beautiful trees. I think it's really sweet of Poison Ivy to uphold Harley Quinn's ideals, Mm -hmm. considering she's not on board with them, even a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but you know, this is is part of their dynamic. Ivy does usually succumb to uh, the whims of Harley. And it's, Strictly out of love for yeah, her. And right. she makes that clear to anybody who would ask. <laughs> right. I am yeah. just doing this for Harley. And so at the end of this issue, you see that uh, uh, Mad Hatter has put those little patches on Ivy's shoulders and the Floronic Man will continue to trail behind them. Yeah, Or but at least who we think is the Floronic Man. The girls are none the wiser and Harley Quinn is like, yay, no more third wheels mucking this up. And she's kind of right because yeah. when she finds out who the big bad is, it's it's not a third wheel. Yeah, not it's just really. an extension of one of the wheels. Uh, now, issue four, uh, which is uh, called Breaking Down. is a bit of an aside. It's a bit of an aside. It's probably my least favorite issue issue it feels a little bit like a filler episode yeah but, but it's I, also kind of fun it's cute i love harley quinn's fascination with roadside attractions yeah and this is another opportunity for poison ivy to just indulge her despite not relating to her in this particular way harley quinn does try to think of her in return and she's like hey there's a triceratops restaurant like, so you're a vegetarian, so there's there's probably vegetarian food here. Because and, a triceratops is vegetarian. That's right. Um, I think it's kind of weird, though, that, like, whenever there's an opportunity for Poison Ivy to chippity-chop sh- some vines, she's like, oh, no, I don't want to hurt these vines. Meanwhile, she's, she's feasting on the flesh of vegetables. <laughs> you know, you're overthinking it, Lisa. You're Am I really? It. I think so. I think so. This is another, this is a Lisa aside. Maybe we can put it in later. Maybe edit this out. I don't know. But I would love for there to be an issue like that issue from Swamp Thing where Harley Quinn feasts on one of Poison Ivy's tubers and has this like like, elevated sexual experience. That would, like the Rites of Spring issue of Harley and Ivy, I would would absolutely uh, read it. But you got to get Stephen Bissett and John Tuttleman to do that art. Yeah. Ooh. Let's pitch that. We're fanficking. We're fanficking. (laughs) But like in issue four, what you find out really quickly is that the theme park is being run by a character I've never encountered before. I've done no research. Maybe this is somebody that exists within DC canon. I think that they make it pretty clear that this character of Draco Rex literally lives just on this tiny little roadside attraction and is gaining... No traction outside (laughs) of her tiny little kingdom. And so when Harley and Ivy show up, she's ecstatic because it's like, oh, the Gotham rogues, they fight, they fight Batman. I'm now big time. If they're here, obviously Draco Rex is big time. And even her goons. They're a little excited. They're They're starstruck. Yeah, they're starstruck. And so that, that's a, that's fun. It's fun. At least it is until the Floronic Man appears via the salads that the goons are eating. Yeah, so That they have digested, which is a a Swamp Thing move. That, that's something that Swamp Thing has done in the past. Oh yeah, totally. And so the Floronic Man 
is still on their tail. Harley Quinn is like, what should I do? Let's set this entire place on fire. <laughs> so she does. But as they're leaving, they see that the fluoronic creature is not succumbing to the flames. Poison Ivy is super concerned because she's like, how is he still tracking us? We just drove through a bunch of desert. So, um, but then she starts having like a seizure in the car right. and she the flowers on her arm just start getting bigger and she realizes, oh no, it's, it's me. He's tracking us through these plants on my arm. And she's like, Harley, you've got to cut my arm off. And Harley is like, oh, no, I don't want to. I love you, which is actually a pretty typical uh-huh. hero predicament, having to hurt the ones that you love for the greater good. Right, right. It's kind of like a, a zombie bite moment, right? You see this in, like, The Walking Dead and yeah. Romero films. Uh, and, and that's what happens. So she cuts off the arm. They should be all good now. Let's go to New York City in issue five. And the reason we go to New York City is because it looks like the Floronic Man is holding the island of Manhattan hostage. And Harley Quinn is like, why Manhattan? And Poison Ivy goes like, it's because you're from Manhattan. And the Floronic Man seems to be getting super weirdly personal with me. And we see Poison Ivy start to put the clues together like that maybe... It's not the Floronic Man. Right. Yeah. So they arrive in New York. It's covered in foliage. And uh, we see a little bit, like, Harley Quinn is taking this, like, this is my time to really prove myself as a hero. Which is hilarious because then who shows up? An actual hero, Batwoman. Right, right. And Batwoman is not taking any of this nonsense from these two villains. (laughs) Of course not. But I do see that Harley Quinn is at least faking empathy because she brings out, instead of bringing just regular grenades, she brings knockout gas. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, if it's good enough for Batman, it's good enough for me. And she seems to feel, or at least pretending to feel a little bit guilty for even knocking these bad guys out. Yeah, and and they give Batwoman all the information. Like, look, it's not poison ivy. It's actually the pharaonic man. Uh, Batwoman is skeptical, Skeptical. but she doesn't like slap the bat shackles on them immediately. There is a momentary uh, team up that occurs. That's right. Well, because they call her out as a detective. Like, you're a detective. Why not look for some clues? There is a really cute winkity wink to um, any queer readers out there because uh, Harley Quinn makes like a little joke and uh, like, Batwoman is like very mature and Harley Quinn is like it's that tone that makes you a great straight man and uh, <laughs> Batwoman is like I definitely don't yeah, because yeah. she's like I'm neither straight nor a man yeah, I appreciated I that I appreciate it I mean I like these three together it's it's a dynamic that I have never encountered before and at some point we're going to need to dive into the mythology of Batwoman because she's an incredibly interesting character like we we got to go to the elegy arc at some point hell yeah but we're not there yet so Turns out um, the Floronic Man has taken some hostages and Batwoman is like, well, this is clearly a trap. You really want to prove that you're heroes? And Harlequin is like, yes, I do. And like part of being a hero means doing things like running headlong into a trap, doing things that are not in your best interest, but rather somebody else's best interest. Mm -hmm. Putting others before you. Which I think Harley Quinn 
has learned and developed by loving Poison Ivy, mm, especially yeah. especially when she's been so vulnerable. Mm, mm, like, mm -hmm. do you think that Harley Quinn wanted to move to the suburbs? No. Do you think she wanted to be on the on the down low so that her girlfriend can get better? No. Heroism, but, like everything else, is a practice. Exactly, and so is empathy. Being in love is like a crash course in empathy. And Brad and I have learned that from loving each other a mm -hmm. lot as well. For sure, for sure. And ultimately, it is Poison Ivy who rescues those hostages, right? Right. She, you know, uses her abilities to break them free of these vine shackles. But in doing so, as soon as one of the hostages see Poison Ivy... Yeah, freaks out. Freaks out and smacks Poison Ivy across the face. And Harley Quinn is like, hey... We're it's, heroes now. It's a massive backhand slap. It's not just like, oh, ah, scare, slap. It's wham, how dare you? It's it's a it's a it's a shocking slap. Yeah. And, and it yeah, like you said, it it it, it enrages Harley. And um Poison Ivy is the one to go like, just let it go. And I think what this moment illustrates is how naive Harley really is about being a hero. Certainly the switch from villain to hero. She thinks that, hey, clean slate, I'm a hero now, where Poison Ivy is like, the people are never going to forgive us for everything we've done in our villain career. And that's a challenge that they've had to confront uh, in, in various iterations of their comic book continuity, right? Like that is something that has occurred in the animated series. That is something that we saw in the Bruce Tim Paul Denny miniseries. Uh, it's something that's in the Carl Kessel, uh, Terry Dodson run. Uh, like that, that's just something that because Harley is somebody who will reinterpret and reinvent herself over and over, she's always having to bump up against that idea. But at least they've won over Batwoman for the time being. For the being. time being, for the time being. She makes some kind of like welcome to the club joke, which Harley doesn't exactly get. Yeah, or, yeah. And so they follow the signal uh, to the center of this disturbance where they think they're going to meet the Floronic Man. And Harley is super jazzed yeah, to she, kick some super villain butt. Really, let's but, go kick some grass. But Poison Ivy is having some mixed emotions because she's, she she feels betrayed by the plants who are not listening to her. And Harley is like, hey, you got me, right? And then we get this really cute panel of them holding hands with like a little heart. It's very cute. Yeah, well, that cuteness lasts for uh, one page because the next page they get to the center and there's the big rose and who comes stepping out of that rose not the Floronic Man, Lisa. Who is it, Brad? It's evil Poison Ivy. Oh, no. What? How did you react to that page when you turned it? Because I read this first and I said, like, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about the sixth issue, Lisa. Oh, I, like, I immediately tossed that single issue <laughs> aside with a flutter and pulled up the fall to, to my chin and go, like, okay, explain this to me. Yeah, right, right. But, like... I had an immediate sinking feeling. Yeah. Like, who who has Harley been hanging out with? Is Has Harley been, this entire series, hanging out with so our you, Poison Ivy? So you immediately was like, our Poison Ivy is like a fake? Uh, 
Oh, well, I immediately started to wonder what the reality of the situation yeah. was, right? And I didn't have to wonder for very long because the very first page of the next issue flashes us back to the suburbs several weeks ago, and we see Ivy back in that pod after she's taken the fertilizer, and she cracks out of it. Mm, that's so much uh, better. And then she turns around, and you see all these pods. There was not one pod that grew, but multiple. And when you see that page, then you go, hold up. What Ivy's the real Ivy? Right. And they snap out of that flashback and Harley Quinn is like, what's going on? And evil Poison Ivy is like, well, you tell her what's going on. And Poison Ivy is like, I'm not the real Poison Ivy. I'm just like a cutting Like a plant cutting. Yeah, and so here's my question to you, Lisa. Is the evil uh, poison ivy the real poison ivy? Or or is there a real poison ivy anymore? What I, like, my feelings were hurt Uh uh in this moment. I was devastated, devastated. The way that Harley must have felt. Right, because it delegitimizes everything that's happened over this entire storyline between these two characters because our Poison Ivy is not complete. Right, right. So, like, for me, to make it work, I have to see this evil Poison Ivy and the uh, our Poison Ivy as, yeah, like you said, a splinter uh, mm-hmm. of the the whole. And at some point when the splinters regroup, the real Poison Ivy will still maintain the memories of this road trip adventure. And, at, you know, Poison Ivy will become whole again and will be able to get back to some kind of relationship with Har- Harley. But this new, so for the rest of my notes, I'm just going to delineate the two types of poison ivy. We're calling a call one evil poison ivy and the other one just poison ivy. But evil poison ivy is carrying huge resentment Uh to Harley Quinn because Harley Quinn is like, you were going through all of this. Like, why didn't you tell me? Like, you couldn't tell that I wasn't. Exactly, which I think is like such a cliche reason to break up like I like why wouldn't you be able to tell that something was wrong with me without like if you really loved me you would have been able to tell that I was not myself and you were just kind of rolling with it right well why would Harley think anything differently like this is the the mirror universe situation is not a regular situation so if I'm hanging out with Lisa mm-hmm. well that's Lisa clearly that's Lisa I'm hanging out with Lisa and having a good time but then if I turn the corner one day and I encounter evil Lisa mm-hmm. uh evil Lisa can't be mad at me because I was having a good time with good Lisa. Right. <laughs> of course. But and we've seen that in any kind of like body double. Yeah, Star Trek. Yeah. The enemy within. Yeah. So even like so Harley Quinn is like, well, I loved you. I I love you. I want you to be well. And Evil Poison Ivy is like, well, clearly you don't love me enough. Ugh. And but then this is the kicker. She uses the sentence, since you can't stop trying to fix me. And this is this is a uh, evil poison ivy referring to Harley Quinn trying to turn her into a hero. And 
I don't think that that was what Harley Quinn was doing at all. But I you, think she was trying to heal her. You also have to remember that this splinter of ivy, this evil poison ivy, is evil poison ivy. It's this specific fragment of her personality, right? right. So everything that evil poison ivy is saying, you have to take with a grain of salt. Now, that's easy to say as a reader for Harley Quinn living the situation. Very, very difficult. Very, very traumatic. Heartbreaking. Yeah, heartbreaking. So at this point, both Evil Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn are just sobbing. And Evil Poison Ivy calls Harley her bright spot in the darkness of humanity. And if you're the best humanity has to offer this world, then humanity has no place in this world. Like, so it's like a you're either with me or against me kind of thing. And Harley Quinn is like, I can't be with you when you're being like this. And Poison Ivy, and our Poison Ivy goes like, leave her alone to evil Poison Ivy, blame me. Like, I think that you're the bright spot in humanity is a great line. Mm -hmm. And I think the kind of line that Poison Ivy gets to say to do something truly heinous, I just don't think that Harley Quinn has done anything so wrong to deserve what she's saying in this moment. Again, I think it goes back to the fact that this is the evil poison ivy, that this is a, that particular type of uh, temperament. I think this scene is also interesting if we mirror it with what went on in the Tom King, Everybody Loves Ivy storyline back in the Batman solo title, because it's a similar situation, except that ivy was whole and had controlled everything on the planet and had finally become victorious. Right. But that victory meant nothing to Ivy if she had to have total control over Harley as well and in effect lose Harley. Yeah. But now evil Harley, or sorry, evil Ivy. Uh, is it's like, just being petty, I it's guess. It's just being petty and saying like, if you're the best that humanity has to author, then uh, forget humanity. But you can't trust what evil Ivy is saying because evil Ivy is only... Again, a fragment. Just manipulating. But but uh, particularly a fragment of Ivy. Like, this is not Ivy. The whole truth. Evil Poison Ivy ra like raises some other zombie Ivies, which mm -hmm. totally weirds her out. <laughs> and then Poison Ivy helps mind control the zombies off of Harley Quinn, but then po Evil Poison Ivy vines them up. And um, Poison Ivy is like, you were just watching me and toying with us. And Evil Poison Ivy was like, I watched you be weak, a little blossom on a leash. And I love, uh, I love Poison Ivy's response because she's like, what, jealous? And Evil Poison Ivy is just become so angry and disgusted that she throws Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn down. And Harley Quinn is like, let's just run, you and me, and just be together. And Poison Ivy is like, I can't. Yeah. She's hurting. We've seen Poison Ivy backed into the evil corner before, yeah. and it's just going to get ugly. And she so, and she implies that once I'm once again part of her, she's going to remember how much you mean to her. And so, and so they part. So she tells Harley Quinn to run, and they part with a with Poison Ivy kissing Harley Quinn. On the forehead. Yeah, very chaste Weak kiss. sauce. Weak sauce, big time. I mean, it's it's an incredibly disappointing uh, pseudo-retcon yeah. of their romance. Totally. Right? Because they have shared a kiss on page within DC continuity. They are a couple, like, 
they, they, they deserve better than a forehead smack. And a body double ending. Yeah, and a body double ending. Now, my thing is, if this was the end of a first arc on a Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy series, yeah. and Jody Hauser could take this storyline and complete it and continue it, right? I would be perfectly happy with these six issues. But because Jody Hauser is out after this. This and, is supposed to be the button on them as a couple. Right. And 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 as a button on a couple, I it's offensive. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and, and and I understand anyone's anger and rage towards what this series leaves, uh where this series leaves these two. But everything leading up to this issue, super fun to read. Yeah, and again, like uh, all right, the kiss sequence. I'm betrayed by There's, yeah. it's 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 unforgivable. I don't like it. I really don't like it. Uh, but even in this issue, I'm I'm not mad at the plot or the revelation of evil poison ivy. It's just how that's used to get rid of poison ivy and Harley Quinn as a couple. For the last three pages, we get Harley Quinn's narration over the action. So we see the two poison ivies battling it out. There starts to be some kind of like vines, kind of foliage coming between them. They're like melding together. And it ends with Poison Ivy, just one of them, looking totally exhausted and in a pretty traditional Poison Ivy um, foliage bodysuit, Ivy bodysuit. And the narration is Harley Quinn telling a joke about two redheads walk into a bar. And the last line is Harley Quinn. She's running away, running out of New York. And the last line is, still don't know what the final punchline's going to be. And neither do we. And this is the end of this miniseries. And then on the final page, though, you do have Harley in her convertible driving out of this. Oh, yeah. I have to turn the page one more time. (laughs) And, And you have, like, ghost... Poison yeah, Ivy. We have a little Paul Walker moment. <laughs> Fast and Furious. Oh, brutal, Lisa. Yeah, very don't, a very gauzy memory. Don't bring ghost. up those those <laughs> painful memories, Lisa. Um, yeah, and, and so she's driving off into a literal sunset, and <laughs> and Harley Quinn. The actual last line is, um, like. One thing I do know, who the real hero hero of the story was, implying Poison Ivy, and she's exactly the kind of hero I want to be. So she's still, her heart is still set on being a hero. Interesting. Yeah, well, again, it goes back to this series is done to retcon and reinvent Harley Quinn for a post-Birds of Prey movie character in the comic books. To me, it just doesn't seem reasonable that she could go through that and still want to be a hero. I mean, here's the thing, Lisa. Like, give me, let me see that comic book right there. Sure. You turn it over, you flip it over, and on the back of the issue is an advertisement for new episodes every Friday, Harley Quinn, a DC Universe original. And what's important about that is Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are becoming a couple within the mainstream universe in the most recent episodes, they have finally kissed on screen. Yeah. People went mad for it. They loved it for the majority. I would say the majority. There's some haters out there, but screw those guys. Uh, and what you'll see is when the mainstream audience accepts Harley and Ivy as a couple, 
finally, DC Comics will have no choice but to accept them as a couple. And I think that's where we're ultimately heading towards. The gears of change are slow. And so as we wrap up our conversation on Harley and Ivy, these four episodes, which I've really enjoyed. Me too. And in a lot of ways, this particular episode, this particular story arc is my favorite story arc that we've covered because I love them as a couple. And this is really the closest they have come. And I, I think, and I want after this point, they will be together and they will be OTP. Like this will be canon. That's what my heart wants. They, everything, the fact that it was their, in the truest sense of the word, their romance was an accident, mm-hmm. a beautiful accident of canon, of fans seeing sparks and really wanting to bring them together. If you go back to those earliest Batman the Animated Series episodes and you have that first uh, pairing where uh, they go off and, and have hijinks together. And it's but- a little bit of a mentor-mentee moment with... Harley Quinn being the grasshopper of that situation. Yeah, and and there was something there in that dynamic back then. And anytime they came together in the comic books, there was something there. And really with, you know, some experimentation through the Injustice comic books, uh, as well as the DC bombshells and seeing how they work if you pushed it a little further. And then they were finally gifted that chance in the Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor stuff. It just works. It, it it feels right. It feels like they belong. I think the rightness comes from the fact that when they're together, they both want to be better people. Well, That's c- the true love test. And just from a narrative point of view, they complement each other. And as a couple, they're more interesting than when they are apart. And they benefit from each other's perspective. Yes, yes. So there you have it. That's going to bring us to the end of our conversations on Harley and Ivy. Lisa, what have we learned uh, about ourselves in this conversation? What are we taking away from Ask a Queer Chick? What I really admire about Harley and Ivy as a couple that I'd like to implement in my own life and in my own relationship with you is that being in a couple doesn't mean you have to have identical ideals all Mm. of the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All that it means is that you're ready at any given moment to prioritize your partner's happiness or your partner's success over your own. So it's, it's that ride or die ready to throw yourself on, on the sword for the other person. Don't be bringing up those fast and furious memories again, Lisa, with your ride and die. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Uh, For myself, I look at what you're saying, you know, how do we complement each other? And I think it's a good thing when you are in a couple, um, no matter how long you've been together to consider how your partner compliments you Mm. and how you have grown Uh, over the course of your relationship, thanks to your partner. And I think you can look directly at our podcast and and how this developed and grew out of this desire of of mine to like, let's talk comics. Yeah, It's like, well, if we want to talk comics, let's do something a little interesting. You were going through this like um, introspective, very Harley of you. Self-help phase. Self-help phase. And well, why don't we marry those two things together? And like, I never would have come up with this concept by myself and you would have never have come up with this concept of this podcast by yourself. Right. 
Yeah, and so it's good to take a moment and evaluate how your partner makes you a better person. Oh, that's beautiful. And then to take the Lindsay King Miller perspective, when you're in a couple, what you're doing is helping each other through the lifetime journey that is cycling through your true identities. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's never your job to tell your partner who they are. Mm. And I think it's also important, uh, and and why comic books are a great metaphor for life, mm -hmm. uh, is because you're one thing when you are a teenager, doesn't mean that's who you're going to be when you're 20. That's not how you're going to be when you're 30. That's not how you're going to be when you're 40. You know, the other night we watched Jaws the Revenge, we right? We did. And we were talking about Mike Brody, right? Like, well, in part three, in Jaws 3D, Mike Brody is like this engineer. He doesn't really like the water because of his experiences back on Amity Island. He doesn't want to mess with it, but he's dating a girl who's a dolphin trainer and he, he's starting to grow. But then in Jaws the Revenge in part four, suddenly he's like all about that water. Yeah, he's <laughs> getting his PhD. Yeah, he's like a marine biologist, right? right? And he's hanging out in the Bahamas. And you're like, well, how did that guy come from Jaws 3? And I was getting all frustrated. And then I go like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're a different person. Right. You change. You have to allow for change. And just because you met a character one way in the animated series doesn't mean that's how they should be when you're 50 years down into their continuity. There needs to be growth. There will be growth. And the way that you tell your own narrative will change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have loved this series of episodes. Me too. I, I've loved Harley and Ivy. I've really loved Ask a Queer Chick. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that just a quick Google search <laughs> brought me on this journey. And I highly recommend this book. Uh, maybe especially to queer chicks, but I think anybody. If you are a queer chick or someone who just loves a queer chick. I guess that wraps it up for our Harley and Ivy conversation. Where do we go next, Brad? So yes, we're going to bid adieu to Harley and Ivy, but we're not straying too far from Gotham City. As we rapidly approach our 50th couple, who, spoilers, are going to be Norrin Rad and Don Greenwood so from excited. Silver Surfer. So excited. We wanted to give you listeners an opportunity to select couple number 49. Which we did. Yes, we took to Twitter and Facebook and asked you to supply us with your OTP selections and boy... Did you lovely people deliver? Sadly, only one person could win, and that was Dr. Dina PhD, aka at Is It Broken Yet on Twitter. She was not the only one of you to suggest Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon, but she was the one who won the raffle. Them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. And she has provided us with a little MP3 that we can drop into the start of our next episode to explain why she picked this couple. Ew. So thank you, Dr. Dina. Uh, while I'm pretty familiar with both characters, I don't think I've actually read too many comics that feature them predominantly as a romantic couple. So again, there will be a lot of exploration and learning going on, which is the way I prefer it, honestly. Yeah, let's read something new. Yeah, so uh, honestly, I'd love to kick off our four episodes with the Batman Family Anthology series where Dick and Babs first partnered together. But... 
We don't have them at our disposal right what? now. What? They, we don't know own all of the comics? No, no. I tried to buy the entire lot. It's like 19 issues, but uh, it cost 250 on eBay. Oh my. I wasn't ready to drop 250 just yet. So instead, we're going to tackle the more modern retelling of this particular era as it appears in Batman. Girl, not Batman, Batgirl Year One, written by Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon and featuring art by Marcus Martin, who I love, and Alvaro Lopez. I look forward to it. And with our new couple, we need a new love guru. Yes, we do. So our guru is going to be Dr. Roberta M. Gilbert, MD, and her book, Extraordinary Relationships, A New Way of Thinking About Human Interactions, the second edition. I don't know much about this book. I've just done the most cursory of Googles. <laughs> That's but, how we do it. But this is apparently based on Dr. Murray's Bowen's innovative family systems theory. I've never heard of the family systems nope. theory, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. Fingers crossed that we like it as just as much as Lindsay King Miller's Ask a Queer Chick. That's a tough bar to clear. And don't worry, listeners, uh, you know, you sent us so many couples to choose from in our raffle. We've kept all your information. We've compiled them into a Google spreadsheet, and we will get to those selections over the course of this podcast lifetime. So are we telling them to stay tuned. We're telling them to stay tuned. Yes, Lisa. Yes, Lisa. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, Lisa, it's time to say goodbye. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you this week? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget, you can email the podcast by writing to cbccpodcast and gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we are still collecting your favorite moments from the CBCC podcast and time codes for our big 50th episode extravaganza. And Brad, mm. where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. You can follow the podcast at CBCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to send us a review. You can drop those reviews on iTunes. You can drop them on Podchaser, Stitcher. Um, where else? <gasps> YouTube now. You can drop a little comment and a, and a review on YouTube. That would be wonderful. And you can commit to this podcast by subscribing to us on the aforementioned platform. Yeah, please do that. Yeah. And until next time, Lisa. Yeah? Keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy. <laughs>